following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I've been married now for a little over 12 years, and I've realized something. Home improvement is not for everyone. There are some that endeavor to fix up their house, do a little project here, big project maybe, renovate something. And that actually, not everyone should do that. I am one of those people that should not do that. And there's a pattern that happens every time a project is before me that I'm trying to fix up at the house. There's a predictable pattern. I start getting something in my brain. I'm a little consumed by it. I'm thinking how I'm going to do it. I'm planning it out, mapping it out. And at some way, my sweet wife tries to gently insert herself to protect our household, our family for what's about to happen. So she usually says something like, okay, um, you know, do, do you have any idea like maybe how long this is going to take or how much it's going to cost or what this is going to do to your body physically? Have you thought about any of those things? And my reaction is something like, oh, yeah, it's going to, I mean, this will take me an hour tops, okay? An hour tops, maybe $25 if that. I think I have everything I need. I got duct tape, so I'm pretty good with everything else. What else do you need, really? And... Um, she has this unit of conversion in her mind that whatever I say about how long it's going to take, how much it's going to cost, or how I'm going to be physically injured, she just multiplies that by three to kind of be prepared for what happens. So for example, uh, recently, it, it's Friday, Friday's our family day in the Barnes household, and we're in the backyard, I've got a little swing set back there, and, and the kids are swinging on the swings, and I'm back there, and I, you know, we're together as a family, and I look over, and there's a part of our fence that is leaning in a little bit, and it's been leaning in for a while, and I'll drive home like, oh, I've got to fix that fence. It's leaning. You know, when am I going to do that? And so finally, I'm standing there. I'm pushing, you know, the kids on the swing, and finally, I can't take it anymore. I'm like, all right, I gotta, I'm fixing this fence right now. She's like, are you, are you sure you want to do that now? Like, is this the right? No, it'll take me 20 minutes. Okay, I'll fi- fix this in 20 minutes. I go into the garage. I'm rummaging through things, finding things, and I, I find this, this, you know, two by four, and I'm like, holding it up, like looking at it, making sure it's right. I don't even know why I'm doing it. I saw someone do it at Lowe's one time. So like looking at it, I don't know what I'm looking at. So I brace, my, my plan is I'm going to brace the fence up and then I'm going to take like a stake, hammer it into the ground, drill it into the support beam, hold the fence up, and that's going to be my temporary fix. Okay, that sounds pretty sound. So I get it up there and I've got this, this stake and I'm going to hammer it into the ground. Now I think we can agree If you're hammering a piece of wood into the ground, you cannot use a normal hammer for that task. Clearly, you need a sledgehammer. So I get a sledgehammer, and I'm hammering it in, and I'm I'm, I'm holding it with one hand, and I have the sledgehammer in the other hand, and I'm hammering it, I mean, like a man, okay? I mean, like, at one point, I almost tore my shirt off, but I thought that was overkill, all right, so it's like, like a man, I'm hammering this in. And, and there's one moment where it glances off the side of the stake and makes direct contact with the first knuckle of my thumb. Now, if you've ever hit your thumb with a sledgehammer, there's a phenomenon that happens. There's 
certain aspects of the English language (laughs) starts bubbling up into your consciousness, okay? And while I'm tempted to start shouting some things that are coming into my mind, there's this tension where I realize there are women and children here. (laughs) And I'm a man of the cloth, for goodness sakes, okay? Get control of yourself. And so I proceed to hold my thumb quietly and pace around the lawn until, like, I calm down, burning a little circle in the lawn. Okay, so here's what I've learned about home improvement projects. Uh, My wife is almost always right at the outset. I'm proclaiming this as kind of a group therapy session for me, okay? And what I probably should do is I should just write up a proposal, humbly submit it to my wife for approval ahead of time, as hard as that may be for my masculinity. Okay, there's a phenomenon that most of us find ourselves in, where in all different aspects of life, we leap before we look. Like there's probably someone that could have spoken into our life and given us a little bit clearer perspective, but there's something driving us so much, maybe it's just this emotion or this desire or just this need to act compulsively, and so we leap before we look. And it's not just necessarily in big things, it's small things, it's even in conversations. We lecture before we listen. We try to fix someone before we've really tried to seek out how to understand them. We, we talk first and think later. We're compulsive. We're reactionary. We, we instinctively respond. This can be in a meeting. This can be with an idea. This can be in conflict. This can be in conversation. This can be in all different spheres of our life. There's this, this paradigm where, t- where we can respond before we take time to understand, to seek out, to study, to, to listen to hear, and that's a major, it's a massively important principle for us to to figure out in our life, to work into our lives. This is a foundational component of maturity, is to be able to listen, to stop calmly, seek to understand first, and speak second. That is a basic foundational piece of wisdom and maturity, but if we're, also, if we're in leadership, whether it's at work, there's people you're responsible for, if, whether it's volunteering at a ministry or here, here at your church, wherever you're in leadership, in your home, even organically, in your friend group, if you have influence, leadership, this is vitally important as a principle. And this is something that Nehemiah, in this this autobiography of this leader, Nehemiah, he's sharing his memoirs. He unpacks how he did this, and it's so instructive for our lives. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 11. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to start in in verse 11. Here's what he says. So I went to Jerusalem... And was there three days. When I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. All right, let's just pause there and let's get caught up. This guy, Nehemiah, he's just arrived in Jerusalem. Who is this guy? This guy is a Jewish man. He's returning to the place of his ancestors. It's probably the first time he's ever visited this place, Jerusalem. He actually works in the king's palace in Persia. 
In the city of Susa, he's a cupbearer. He's a pretty high-ranking servant in the king's palace. But he's been very burdened for the fact that the city of Jerusalem, this is hundreds of years before Christ, the city of Jerusalem is in ruins. It's completely destroyed except for a group that has rebuilt the temple, but especially the walls and the gates are broken down. So that makes this a very unsafe place to live. He's been very burdened. And at the request of Nehemiah, the king actually sends him back to Jerusalem to rebuild these walls and these gates. And if you've been journeying with us for the last couple weeks, you know that this has taken a long time for Nehemiah to finally get to Jerusalem. I mean, he took months preparing to just get an opportunity to share the vision with the king. I mean, months and months of praying and planning. And he finally got to, the, to stand before the king and he's having this interaction with the king and the king miraculously lets him return. He actually even lets him use some of his stuff. The king sends some of his timber from his forests with them so that they can rebuild this wall. And he finally gets here. And you can imagine, this is a broken down city. A caravan from Persia comes and stops. A, a high ranking servant comes and, and is now in with these horsemen from Persia, they arrive in Jerusalem, and you find that he doesn't tell anyone what he's planning. You can imagine that the people are wondering, okay, what's this guy doing here? I mean, there's not a lot of caravans that are going to probably come through a broken down city. He shows up, you know that there's a buzz. What's he doing here? What, what's going on here? He, re, he probably got asked by from some of the nobles and the leaders of some of the families, why are you here? But he doesn't tell anyone anything. For three days. And during that time, he waits till it's nighttime. And that's important that he gives us this detail. He waits till it's nighttime and he takes, this, takes a group, a couple men and one animal and this is what he does. Look at verse 13. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dung gate And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So he arrives in Jerusalem. He doesn't tell anyone. You can imagine he'd want to arrive, maybe takes a, a, a day to just rest and relax and recuperate. And then he says, you can imagine his instinct might be like, all right, I've got to tell you what happened. I, was st- I heard about this. I know you don't know me, but I'm from the palace and I stood before the king and you wouldn't believe what the king said. So I'd like to rebuild the wall, but I just need to inspect some things first. No, that's not what he does. He arrives and he doesn't tell anyone anything for three days. He waits till it's night. You know, there's no like city lights. He's no flashlights. Maybe he's taking some torches, but that's it. Takes a couple men. He takes an animal, a horse, a donkey. He's riding around the city and he's inspecting the walls 
for himself. Okay, it's not like he hasn't prepared ahead of time months. I mean, it may be a year already since he first heard about the walls. He's been preparing, 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 traveling for months to get here, and he's inspecting the walls. And he takes time to tell us where he inspected. So let's just kind of honor that he took the time to tell us these gates, and let's take a look at it. I want you to look at this, this image. This is a picture that is, it's kind of a, a, an illustration of what the city would look like in the time of Nehemiah. Obviously, this is what it would look like once it would be completely rebuilt. And you can see it's in the, at the very top, you see that's the temple that was built. And you can see there's, there's uh, houses and buildings spread around. You can see there's a wall that's completely around the city of Jerusalem. Now, the first thing you might notice is, wow, why is it such kind of a weird oblong shape? And that's because you can kind of see that it's sitting up at the top of a hill. And so this is, it's got valleys on either side, and this is strategic. It makes it that much more fortified. And so kind of how he describes, if you can see right towards the middle where it gets narrow, on the left side, you can kind of see a little gate there. That's the valley gate, and that's where he left. And best we can tell, he circles around the bottom here to that, past that very gate, on the bottom there, goes down into the valley there on the right and is inspecting the gates along there. Probably, we don't know exactly for sure if he doubled back, but probably he went all the way around and spent the night kind of circling around and looking at all of the wall and the gates. So this is what it would look like once everything is rebuilt back up. That's a picture of Jerusalem. Now I want you just to take this in. He takes so much of the story, he rushes through. But he takes time to tell us what gates he's actually, what parts of the wall he's inspecting, and he's doing all of this at night. He takes time to tell us how he investigated for himself. You see him repeat, I saw, I had heard that the walls were broken down and the gates were burned, but it's almost like I needed to stop. I had the plan, I had the game plan, but I just needed to see it for myself. I just needed to take it in. I just need to see the broken gates and broken walls for myself. I need to just make sure I've got my own handle on this and make sure the plan I have is solid. Now look what he says next. This is, this is verse 17. And these verses, it's one of the most powerful points in this entire book. Look what happens. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. You know, it's so hard in just two verses to wring out the emotion in this moment. I mean, this is the moment. I mean, this is where the, the spark goes down to the fuse. This is when the bonfire's lit, it's prepared, but this is the striking of the match and tossing it into the pile. Okay, I mean, this is, this is the moment where everything is instigated. This is the first actual domino to pass. And you notice their response. They say collectively, let us rise up 
and build. And it says this, I love this metaphor, they strengthened their hands for the work. They, it's like Old Testament lingo for, and they rolled up their sleeves. You see this? I mean, take this moment in. I mean, Nehemiah just zips past this. Don't you wish we had like a whole chapter on his speech and how we motivated them and how he, he how, like, what was, what was it like? Were they suspicious at first? I mean, who's this guy? He probably looked more Persian than Jewish. I mean, he worked in the king's palace. He probably had a Persian haircut and Persian mannerisms, maybe a Persian accent. They're like, who's this guy? And all of a sudden he tells them, he says, look at this. And they're quiet and they're suspicious and there's people with their arms folded and kind of looking sideways. He says, look at where we're at. Look at this. I mean, the walls are broken down. You see, our families are in danger. This is, this is supposed to be the city of God. And, and this is what the city of God is. We're a mockery among the nations. I mean, look at this situation. And maybe there's a tear from someone in the, in the audience. I mean, there's a moment where, I mean, it's just one of those moments you can hear a pin drop. I mean, no one's moving. Everyone's just listening to what he's saying next. And maybe he gives this long pause and he says this, we are going to build this wall. And maybe it was quiet for a beat. And maybe there's a a, a, a mixture of skepticism and hope and maybe there's just someone there and just kind of boiling and someone wants to shout and they want to cheer but they're skeptical and they, they've tried this before and it didn't work. And then he tells them the kicker. He says, because let me tell you what God has already done. He says, I was there standing before the king, the most powerful man in the world, the king who halted the rebuilding of this wall, who formerly thought this was a wicked and rebellious city. And he said, and I watched in just one moment where he asked me, he said, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And he said, man, I, I, just, I just told him and I was praying the whole time. I was scared for my life. And I said, the city, the place of my father's graves is broken down and, and they're listening and they can't believe what they're hearing. And he says, and he let me come and he's going to provide the timber and he provided me letters and he got all these horsemen here to protect this work. The king's behind it and you know that he had to say, but you know who's really behind this work? God is already behind it. Don't you know in that moment, that's when someone just couldn't hold themselves back. There's a, there's a cheer and all of a sudden there's cheering and weeping and celebrating and dancing and singing. And, they, and it's just this rush surging through these broken boulders of Jerusalem and this collective, let's get to work. See, that's the moment. That is spark to the fuse. That's when it's all instigated. Nehemiah doesn't build this wall. They build the wall. If they say, sounds like a great plan, tell us how it's going to work out. Good luck to you. We'll pray for you. There's no wall. And there's no telling how history works out differently. It has to be, let us rise and build. This has to be the response when he casts this vision, this is the make or break moment. This is the second, this might have even been more terrifying than standing before the king, is will they strengthen their hands for work? And when they shout out, you've got to know that Nehemiah is sitting there choked up. I mean, he wept before when he heard the state of Jerusalem. You've got to know that he broke down and wept again as he's casting this vision. I mean, there's so much in here we learn about Nehemiah and his ability as a leader to cast vision. Like, let's just break down the aspects 
of the, of the speech that he gives, of this vision casting that he gives. There's three aspects to, to his, Nehemiah's vision casting. When you look at, at just these three, the first thing is the, he's talking about the urgency around us. You notice he uses us? He's using we let us rise up and build. And so what he says to him is, man, there's urgency around us. He says, look at this. Don't you know, I, I wish, don't you wish he'd given us more than just these two, just like two verses of this speech. He says, look at the situation that we're in. He gives us the, he says, there's urgency all around us. We cannot sit by any longer and do nothing about this situation. There's brokenness and danger. There's urgency around us. He gives the second part of his vision casting is this. He says, here's the plan before us. He says, we're going to build this wall. And what you know as you read, as we continue reading and continue studying, man, there's a plan. There's very particular and very strategic how they're going to rebuild this wall. So he's going to lay out a plan. This is how we're going to do it. There's probably more in his speech that we don't get from the summary of him laying out the plan. Man, this is the plan before us. There's urgency around us, the plan before us. And then here's the most powerful part, this third one. He shows him, and behind every vision of God, there's got to be a moment in the vision casting you talk about how God is already behind you. He says, God is already behind us. Don't you think that's what made some of them click? Like, oh, I'm not starting something. I'm joining something that God is already doing. So beautiful, so practical. There's urgency around us. There's a, he lays out a plan before us, and there's a God who's behind us. He lays out this beautiful vision, and they say, let us rise up and build, and they roll up their sleeves and strengthen their hands for work. Now, I just want you to look at this passage, beautiful, instructive passage on how to cast vision. But I want you to see the flow and the balance. Isn't it odd that we get so little of his speech? I mean, this is the speech. We get so little of the speech, exactly two verses, like two sentences, and we got four verses on what gates he inspected? I mean, like, Nehemiah, I mean, if I could go back in time, could you just give us a little more of the speech? Just say, I took a look at the wall. Three days later, I gave the speech. And give us, like, three chapters of the speech. We don't care about the wall, okay? No, nothing personal, Nehemiah. I don't care about the valley gate and the dung gate and all those things, okay? Why, do you, why does he give us four verses about his inspection, his investigation, before he even gets to his vision that instigates the entire building of the wall. Why does he do this? Okay, Nehemiah is serving. He's, this is an autobiography. This is his memoirs. He's serving as your leadership mentor. He's your mentor here. He's your coach. And he's crafting this memoir to train you and me, to train us about how to lead. And he writes this section intentionally off balance, I think. Because he's communicating something so important about leadership. He spends way more time talking about his investigation. He spends way more time talking about his research, about, it, about exploration, about his seeking to understand. Way more than he talks about what he said and about the vision he casted. I think what he's trying to communicate to each of us is this principle of before we try and lecture, we need to listen. Before we try to challenge someone, we need to be seeking to understand. Or let's put it like this. We have to investigate before we instigate. 
before we can instigate anything, before we can, and no matter what it is, before we can instigate a vision, instigate a plan, instigate change, instigate a conversation, instigate conflict, before we instigate anything, we need to investigate. It's, it's a foundational principle that is so important to our maturity, but it's also so important when it comes to leadership. You say, okay, I'll remember that next time I'm standing in front of a crowd about to cast vision for rebuilding a wall, which doesn't come around very often in my life, but I'll make sure that I remember that. But this is such a foundational part of our lives. I mean, I want to read you a couple verses on how this is described elsewhere in Scripture because this plays out in all different parts of our life. Look at this verse from Proverbs chapter 18. Look at this. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So true, right? Look at this next one. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Man, I mean, he doesn't waste any words there. He says, man, a fool is better than being hasty in your words. Look at this last one, James 1, 19. Just such a Profound but simple idea. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Isn't that so true? How much of conflict is because I didn't hear correctly? Or I didn't take a moment to make sure. Let me be slow to anger and make sure I understood. Or before I criticize or correct to make sure I understand first. So this principle working in almost any category of our life, investigate before you instigate. All right, I want to take this on a macro level and on a micro level. Okay, on a macro level, before you enter into a new sphere of your life, investigate first before you instigate. If you're entering into a new family, let's say maybe many of us have experienced this, when you marry into a new family, you're very quickly aware of the weird things that that family does, right? I mean, not Rebecca's family. I'm just, I've heard this somewhere, okay? You're very aware of the weird things that that family, you're very aware of the culture in that family and what they do that's different. Why does every family, every member of the family have to be there every time that event happens? Do we all have to be there? And some, like, someone's like, you're not coming this time? Like, do you even love us anymore? I can't even imagine that you wouldn't be there. And you're trying to put together, okay, why, why is that so important? If you're entering into a new family, investigate. Learn. There's a reason that's so important. There's maybe some family legend that you don't know about as to why that's so critical. Investigate. Before you say, wow, we're not doing that. I mean, we've got to have our own, we've got to do it. Before you instigate anything, investigate. You're entering into a new job. Before you say, well, oh, I see what's going on here. Well, that's a terrible idea and they shouldn't do that. Well, my last job, we did this and this. Okay, all right, here's a new plan. Before you do that, investigate. There's a corporate culture. There's a reason they do things. There's a reason they don't do things. This is a part of maturity. This is a part of leadership. Learn. It doesn't matter what experience you have. It doesn't matter what education you have. It doesn't matter what past successes you have. If you're entering into a new sphere, investigate, learn, 
Seek to understand before you instigate. Are you in a new role? Maybe you just got promoted. And now there are peers that are now subordinates. And before you say, all right, here's how we're going to do things different. Okay, take a second. Ask some questions. Learn, how can I serve you in this role? What can I do to make you successful? Investigate before you instigate. How about entering into a new church? West Pines, if you come to West Pines, if this is your church home, there may be a day where God moves you. you. Maybe your work moves. You move to a new city. You move to a new state, new part of the country, and you go to a new church. I, I am challenging you now. I am commissioning you. Never say, if you're from West Pines, we know that we're the greatest church ever in the history of mankind. We know that, okay? But never go to the new church and be like, well, at my last church that we did, this is what we did. Well, you should see where I served at my last church. This is where I served. So if you need my help, I'll just be sitting over here waiting for you to ask. Okay, never do that. If you're entering into a new church, investigate. God's doing a fresh thing there. He's doing a new thing there. If you're new to West Pines, man, God may have used you in a very powerful way at a previous previous church. But the language we use here, if you're new to West Pines, say, hey, take a time, sit and soak. Investigate. What is the unique thing God is doing here? There's reasons every organization, every church, every family does things and doesn't do things. There's no group of human beings that's perfect. But before you instigate, investigate. Okay, it's on a macro level. Let's take it because this is true even On a micro level, this is true of every single conversation two human beings have. Conflict happens. Your feelings are hurt by someone. You have have an employee that you need to correct or hold accountable. Before you instigate a conflict, investigate. Ask questions first. Before you say, I can't believe you didn't get this done. I told you, here was the deadline. You needed to get this done. Well, they may be like, well, it was this and this and this. Oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Investigate before you instigate, even in conflict. Hey, uh, you know what? Before you say, hey, I can't believe you did this. You did that and you did this. First, before you have conflict with, it's it's your brother-in-law that bothered you or your sister you got into a fight or you're mad at your friend or something happened. Before you instigate conflict, investigate, seek to understand. This is a paradigm of wisdom for every category of our lives when it comes to human interaction. First, just ask a question. Hey, this came across like that. I may have misunderstood. Start there. Seek to understand first. Even if, okay, you're trying to make a sale. You're at work. You're sitting with a client. You want to make a sale. You want to negotiate. Maybe the worst thing you could do is just go and be, all right, here's what you need. Let me tell you what you need. You need this product. You need our services. And here's why. We do this, this, and this. Maybe a wiser thing is first seek to understand. Find out from them what they're needing and show them how this works for them. In any kind of conversation, how about sharing your faith? First seek to understand. Investigate before you instigate. Before you try and take this truth and you need this truth. Before you do that, say, hey, Maybe you earn the right to share what you believe by asking them what they believe, and you just dialogue. Hey, so tell me what you believe. Do you, do you have any rel- religious belief? Tell me about your background. You listen, ask questions. You seek to understand. And then maybe you're earning the right, well, here's what I believe, and you share. Man, and this is just a paradigm of wisdom in every category of our lives. What we see is this, this superior wisdom of Nehemiah. He is such a sharp leader in the whole vision casting component. So often we're so focused on what, are you, what do you say, on how, do you, how are you convinced? 
convincing or, or how do you, you cast vision, whether it's interpersonally or, or how do you, you start change or instigate change. But he's saying here, if you could do one thing, it might be more beneficial to show how you're, in, you're investigating before you instigate. He gives us this whole picture of brilliant vision casting. So here's the challenge. Um, maybe if you have the courage one of the greatest skills you could develop as a leader and one of the greatest skills as you're maturing is learning to listen. So here's be a challenge if you have the courage. Ask two or three people that are closest to you whether you listen well. And here's just a tip. If you do ask them and they give you response, don't talk over them while you're asking them if you listen well. Well, the reason I don't listen well is, okay, you're not listening well now. Oh, okay, all right. So if you have the courage... Ask a couple people that are close to you in different spheres. Family member, spouse, friend, coworker. Man, if you have the courage, ask, hey, do I listen well? When I'm in a meeting, do you notice that I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say next rather than actually listening to what's happening? That'll help us understand, do we, do we investigate before we instigate? We see, man, Nehemiah is something so inspiring about how he builds. But I'd like to take a second and use this as an excuse to springboard and talk for just a second about what we're building. Because here's what we're building together. This is what we're rising up to build, us together. And based on, on what we've investigated as a church, as a leadership, here's the reality. Here's the, the urgency around us, church. South Florida is one of the most unchurched regions in our country. And so here's what we're trying to build. We're we're saying, man, there's lost souls. I mean, let's put faces on this. These are the the families whose children play soccer with our kids who play soccer. It says, I see that long line, the long carpool line. It's realizing that this is a sea of people who are unaware of how much God loves them. It's a sea of people, just person after person, family after family, that are sitting there. They don't realize that God is not mad at them. He's pursuing them in his love and that their creator is saying, I just want to to know you, be reconciled to you, that I'm not chasing you down to pour judgment on you. I'm chasing you down to let you know that I'm offering forgiveness for free. The people that you're stuck in traffic with, your coworkers, your neighbors, They're facing an eternity away from God. Do you realize the urgency around us? It's at an eternal level. That's the urgency around us. And so here's the plan before us. We've got a few weeks before Easter. And there's something unique about this time of year. There's only a couple times of year like this when people are uniquely open to coming to church and hearing the gospel. And so here's what we're going to do as a church. The plan before us is we are going to take every tool we can think of to aggressively invite those around us to church on Easter weekend so they can hear the gospel. In fact, just the very beginning of it, when you came in, you saw an invite card on your seat. Your challenge this week is to find one person this week to invite to church. That's a simple plan. If we all roll up our sleeves and say, let us rise up and build this, we will see God do something powerfully of an eternal value. We're gonna, our goal is to give you any tool we can think of to help you invite. And as a church, we're going to do this aggressively. Now, maybe you're saying, you're sitting there saying, gosh, man, I've tried this before. And I invited someone at Christmas or last Easter. I've invited people to church. It just seems like a a hand them a card. Nothing ever happens to that. But can I tell you something? God is behind this. And I want you to see, we saw the story of Jennifer and Kenny 
uh, talking about their baptism. Their, their kids are getting baptized this morning. We saw that story, but I want to tell you the rest of that story this morning to show you that God is behind this. Check this out. Just little by little, um, our life kind of started falling apart. We started to um, just experience a lot of issues in our marriage and in our family life. And um, we wanted to find a home, a church home for our family. And um, we just were feeling empty. We were feeling empty and just... Um, and we jumped around, tried different churches and nothing really fit. And the kids weren't getting anything out of it, <laughs> that's for sure. It, in between, we were looking for churches. We haven't found our home yet, bouncing around from church to church, at, doing an inspection at someone's house, complete stranger, never met her before. She asked where I go to church. I said, we don't have a church right now. We've been bouncing around. And she gave us a, car, a card to West Pines. And we went the next Sunday and been going for two years now. It was immediately home. You could feel the warmth and just everybody, you know, saying hi and just um, the kids immediately asked, are we coming back next week? That in itself, you know, we were nervous about how they were going to be um, in separate kids' ministries. And um, we just, after service, it was just this peace that came over us and it was just like, wow. We found our church. <laughs> this is what we were looking for. This is, this is what we needed. It. Well, on the day that I invited Kenny, it was a regular day. I was at home and I was waiting for an insurance adjuster to come and do an inspection of my home. And it was my practice to keep a stack of whatever card we were giving out that week at church in my living room. And whoever knocks on my door usually gets a card. He happened to be the guy that day. I handed him the card and I probably said something like, if you come here, I guarantee you're going to get what you need. And that was it, really, that simple. It's, we've been coming to West Pines for two years and we haven't had contact with her since then. So she pretty much has no idea the effect that she's had in our lives just by giving us that simple card and inviting us to church. So it's just, it's been so great. You never know. You hand out a card, you never know what that could mean to someone. Um, I had never gotten the opportunity to meet the person that handed the card to Kenny and um, Melissa when she asked me to share our story um, kind of motioned in a general direction and I said is she here and she looked at me and I was like I haven't met her and immediately I went up to her and, and I just gave her a huge hug and it turned into me crying, her crying, and, and I was able to share with her what a change, something so simple has, has done in our lives, you know. Well, she, she came over toward me and we put our arms out and embraced each other and we both started to cry. We were just hugging and crying for a really long time. You never know how you how you're gonna, um, how somebody else needs you know, God. And, and I feel like you don't know their story. And, and that simple 
day at a, at a meeting, you were meant to be there. We had been looking. She didn't know that. God put us there. I want to make sure you catch that story. Loretta has a habit of handing out invite cards, people who come to her door. She sees Kenny coming and doing inspection. She hands him a card. He come, brings his family to church. They start coming to church, and over the course of two years, they come to Christ. God strengthens their family. They get involved. They get baptized this morning. Their kids are getting baptized. They've been here for two years. And all that time until like this past week, Loretta had been coming and they had never crossed paths. And Loretta had no idea that something she did two years ago was changing someone's life. Do you know what that means? You may have invited someone for Christmas or last Easter and they're already here. And you don't even realize it. She realized that here's the thing, it's not just simply handing someone the card. God is already working a story already for each person that you're going to hand a card to in the next four weeks. He's going ahead of you. He's, you're just joining a work that God is already doing. When we're building something, we're not starting something, we're joining what God is already doing. Let us this Easter... This season, rise up and build and see what God can do of an eternal impact. Let's give it everything we've got. The call is to walk out of here and strengthen our hands for the work. Now, you might be here this morning and maybe you're saying, man, I'm realizing that I'm already in the middle of my story with God. And when you're talking about someone unaware that God is just after them, not to be mad at them, but to love them and offer forgiveness, you might be here and saying, you know what, I need that today. Today, I need to find forgiveness. I want to make it right with God. And if that's you, we just right here, right now, want to give you an opportunity to accept the free gift of salvation, being forgiven by God and beginning a journey with Jesus. So would you all just close your eyes and bow your heads? I want to lead you in a simple prayer. If that's you, pray this with me right there in your seats. Just say, God, thank you for having a plan to save me. Thank you for being willing to forgive me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for having a plan for my life. I want to begin my journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954 954- Four three two zero three two one, or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.